All right, welcome to the official first episode of Sounds About White. My name is Emma Nelson. This episode I'll be known as Sandra Bullock, everyone's favorite white savior, and I was thinking about adopting a black child next month. Who are you? Who am I talking to? Um, I'm Maria. I don't have any uh, fun name of a fellow white woman because I feel like I already am a white, white woman. <laughs> yeah, I personified enough, so I don't need to add to it. <laughs> okay, that works. Yeah. For today, I might need to add in the future. But. Either way, we're going to shout out my girl Sandra. And because uh, I actually just finished watching, what was her movie? The Unforgivable. She wasn't a white. Oh, her new movie. one. I mean, she was white, and she did save her sister, but like, not like she was in the Blind Side either no, way. Not the point no. of this of this moment. Um, we were just going ahead and introducing ourselves and our podcast for Sounds About White. Yes. So welcome. Hopefully, our sound is okay. And if it's not, you can let us know. We're just going to keep reintroducing ourselves with new podcasts every week until we get it right. That's right. Um, Yeah. What are we here for, Maria? So we've, one, we're just kind of introducing ourselves and um, why we're here. Uh, We're hoping to provide some education, mostly to white folks. But if you're black or a person of color, feel free to listen. But a lot of it might feel repetitive. Yeah, it's not really for you. It's for us, by us, for white people, by white people. Wait, that sounded racist. Okay, it's not for you because you already have this information. But like, it could be for you and that you play around the white people that don't have this information. Yes. So feel free. It's getting real KKK-ish vibes. I'm sorry, black people, you are welcome. Yeah. You just you don't you don't need it. <laughs> you're you're above and beyond where we're we're really catering to like mediocre white people. Not- I'm sure you're used to people catering to white people, but like this is that time when we when you sit there in the diversity training the entry-level diversity training at your job, and you think, my God, I already know the Band-Aids aren't my fucking color. Why are we doing this stupid white privilege checklist again? Or maybe that's just the thought that I would have if I were black, but I'm I'm white. Um, and so this is that, and where it's not for you, because you're tired of sitting through those fucking diversity PDs. This is for those white people, except yeah. better. Yeah. We're not unpacking that stupid-ass knapsack today. <laughs> but I mean we could so like on that note well, we, <laughs> so yeah. we are here for white people by white people to unpack that knapsack of privilege and I guess my next question is Maria what is privilege <laughs> well if you don't know already the knapsack uh, you probably come across it if you've at least done a minimal amount of um, racial identity work as a white person Um, But Peggy McIntosh invented this. uh, Well, she didn't invent it. We all know, like, everything that white people say has already been said by black folks. So just disclaimer with that. Um, But Peggy McIntosh, through the knapsack, talks about all these different types of privilege um, that try to give people, like, an understanding in their day-to-day. When we're talking about privilege, like, we're just talking about being white in the United States 
and the inherent privilege uh, throughout history. And then it connects with gender, race, class, but we're specifically focusing on the privileges associated with white identity. Um, Yeah. I'm glad that you said that because, I mean, privilege is multifaceted, which is a a conversation that is really, I have to bring up when I talk to white people, other white people about um, privilege because it can be frustrating because, you know, they say like, well, you know, actually direct quote from a white woman who I know, well, I'm, I'm divorced and it's really hard for me to, you know, have to take care of my baby. And it's like, okay, ma'am, I understand that you are divorced and it's so tough for you because you are divorced, but like, you're still a white woman. So like your experience of being divorced and white is very likely different than a black person or Hispanic person's um, a non-white Hispanic person's experience of being divorced. Um, and I need you to understand that, that there are levels to this shit. And so just because you might not be a billionaire like Jeff Bezos does not mean that you still do not have some capacity of privilege. So it's always important to note the levels to this shit when you're having those conversations, because I guess it just makes it more palatable to white people to understand I don't know yeah. this woman got it when I said it to her because she was really in my ear. Well, I'm divorced and you have a two-parent household. And it was like, <laughs> bitch, if you... Yes, I'm I'm so sorry you're divorced. And I mean, like, she... For what it's worth, I get it. She had a shitty divorce. Her husband or her ex-husband was not always very nice. Obviously, they're divorced now. But, like, I'm not minimizing her issues by still acknowledging that because she's white. You know, things are different. Yeah. So the, there was the quote that was going around. I'm sure it's been around a couple years, but last year and the year before it was like, it's not that your life's not hard, fellow white person, but it's not hard because you're white. Um, and I'm not really into her going in on you like that, though. Um, well, because that sounds like a lot. <laughs> That was happening every day day i'm forced to shoulder the burden of white nonsense and i am so exhausted and i can just only imagine how non-white people feel shouldering this burden if i feel exhausted by white people unloading their white nonsense onto me Um, if that's what i hear like what what are what are our non-white people hearing so um, unfortunately you know I guess it's my my duty to the world. But if I were not white, which I may not have been white when this person unloaded onto me, it would have been very fucking frustrating. <laughs> yes, very frustrating. Um, and yeah, so we do talk a little bit on the show that Emma Nelson is a formerly, sorry, Sandra Bullock. Um, sorry, Hermione Granger. Names change. It's Damn. the same white okay. nonsense. Today I'm Sandra Bullock, okay? And I, I formally, in my past life, I identify, not my past life, Um, in my current life, I once identified as Black. Both of my parents still identify as Black. However, I identify as a white woman um, internally. Now, outwardly, I do often get confused as a Black woman, just, you know, just... <laughs> 
people see brown skin and kinky hair and for whatever reason they assume that you're black however i myself identify as a white woman just want to yeah. make that clear and yeah. so sometimes i have former experiences from before when i identified as black where i unfortunately you know had to bear the burden of white women complaining to me about how i am more privileged than her because i am married and she is divorced and i had to be like look bitch first things first i have to listen to you complain about being divorced <laughs> telling me that i have it better than you while you fuck up that little half black baby that you have oh my god they literally when we talk about why i'm friends with her i mean she's very if i were white she'd be an amazing friend i just want to be clear she's very nice she's very considerate she's very supportive but i'm not white i mean i am white at this moment in time when you were friends with this person you weren't white However, she be saying some white nonsense, and it's really difficult as someone when I used to identify as black. But yeah. like, she's got this biracial daughter, and as a result, I'm like, girl, I can't, I can't leave you because you know, like white women when they have black children never know how to do their hair. Yeah, like, and the I can't say too much because then she's gonna listen. She's like, why would you talk about me on your show? Damn, well, I I think this is a very broad issue. Um, this is one example, but like there are many white women with biracial children. Um, yeah, they even, they even have like a whole salon in a suburb of my city um, mm-hmm. where they um, teach. It's dedicated to teaching white women how to do their black baby's hair. So it's clearly yeah. an issue. It's an issue. And um, there's a lot of other issues, too. Right. Like when we talk about privilege, then within relationships right the power dynamics um privilege of one parent over the other or a parent um a parent's level of privilege can be different than the child's level of privilege and that's just how race and racism work in the united states it should just be complicated and the conclusion here is so we don't sit and talk around in circles for 30 minutes people are like why the hell are you still talking about that shit is that privilege is multifaceted there are levels to this shit. I understand that you might have been poor and white or whatever the hell it is or divorced or or um, other different levels of, you know, privilege, et cetera, that adversities that you may have fa- faced. However, ultimately, if you put a non-white person in that capacity, that same role with the same circumstances as you, you likely will be given and ha- have historically been given a lot more supports benefit of the doubts um, and advantages that other people have not been afforded. So, yeah. And that's no one saying your life is easy, Becky. We're just saying it could be harder. Yes. And that's like, like that's from lived experience. And there's also many statistics that prove, right. So even if it's, Oh, that's just one person's opinion or feeling, no, there's like statistics that also back up that and that, maria yeah. is like super smart so i'm just here to keep the conversation going because if you're not an only child like amanda seals you can't sit on this and talk to yourself for an hour um so like she knows shit i'm i'm just kind of here along for the ride to talk shit about um or help you guys learn help you learn with maria yes so, but I, and that said, I don't know everything, um, but I do know as a person of many privileges, 
um, that it is important to first start with race because everything else kind of falls after that. And sometimes when we put other privileges first, um, we try to kind of downplay the impact of racism um, on on people's experiences. And that is not helpful. Um, privilege, I just, to connect it back to Sandra Bullock. So I did a little research on Sandra Bullock because... <laughs> I just get fascinated. First of all, I love Sandra Bullock in Miss Congeniality. So I like can't say I hate Sandra Bullock. Okay, that was a good movie. Like the bitch can act, okay? Yeah, yeah. I but, do. Yeah. And I also watched a couple different recently the like Catch Me Outside girl. There's like a couple different right. Oh, Don't remind me about that woman. Yeah. Okay, we'll stick to Sandra Bullock. So yeah. Sandra Bullock did the Blind Side movie, which um Ugh, back in my like when I was privileged enough to not notice that things were problematic, I really did enjoy that movie. Oh, it was a, it was a better time in life. I mean, it was cute, and then it was like, yeah. damn, this bitch was really white privileging, huh? Anyway, keep I mean, going, it's sorry. based on a true story. Yeah, but you, we, know, we know why they told that story. Yeah, like look, not all white people are bad, and it was like, ugh. Yeah, ugh. and. To be fair, the book, okay, so I, I just pulled it up because I, I like to Google stuff. And a book was, the white guy wrote it about a black man. So it wasn't necessarily like a biographical, like straight from the perspective of the black uh, yeah. American football player. But Yeah, because, you know, obviously his, um, his um, experience might be different. I mean, I don't, I don't, there are probably just a lot of nuances that we missed out on in the book that probably, or in, in the movie that like weren't necessarily considered. Yeah. Um, as you'll get from, you'll hear when people of color, specifically black, because that's what I um, am familiar with, um, were adopted by white people. The things that they say once they're older about their difficulties, um, socializing and other such things, or like, um, I actually touched on it in This Is Us or Randall, like, you know, there's a couple episodes about like his mom not knowing how to do his hair. She wasn't lotioning his legs, which I just don't understand because everybody's legs need moisture. So I don't, I don't understand. But like the child was ashy and his hair looked a hot ass mess. And yeah. I really like that that episode touched on it because, you know, people want to be white savioring like Sandra Bullock, but they don't really understand what that looks like. It's more than just celebrating Kwanzaa once a year. First of all, I didn't even celebrate Kwanzaa once a year when I used to be black. Yeah. So not um, every black person celebrates Kwanzaa. Right. And, you know, not opposed to it. It's just it wasn't a, tradi a tradition in my household. So making a note to do so when you adopt a black child isn't necessarily really while not doing their hair and not lotioning their legs and not maintaining yeah. their relationships in, in circles with black people, like, what are you really doing? You're not really doing the core work. And so I feel like when you have the blindside story written by a person who's white, they're not going to pick up on those level of nuances. Whereas had he told the story himself or a black person written the story, they would have known the questions to ask in order to give a more accurate depiction of, of from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get that from that movie. 
And then they brought in black people to paint the pictures, like paint them as the bad guys. I remember it's like they had the black, the people who came in to be like, um, these people are boosters. They're going to go pick up a kid and send them to a school. They're a little alma mater to do all stuff. And that painted the black people as bad. And it was like, okay, well, first of all, like people who do that are bad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but you're, you're painting those people as like wrong for trying to look into this and make sure that this boy isn't being taken advantage of. Like, how could they, this woman genuinely loved her. Okay. Well, (laughs) they're not wrong for asking some questions. They're not. Yeah. Because the, the white folks do not get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to, are you sure they're not being racist? Are you sure they're not being objectifying or they're trying to ride the coattails uh, of this? you know young athlete but they they like real they really did in that movie so like in retrospect it's like damn girl you you let them do that shit um and i'm really glad that i have since evolved since seeing that movie but yeah you know sandra bullock remember when she had that dang she brought brought a gun to the hood and she was all tough and shit my god that movie is that in the movie yeah, she went. I think actually, I don't know. I think she had a gun in her purse. Yeah, some guy approached her, and she was like, and she basically insinuated that there was a gun in her purse, and she was mm. always packing. And then he backed up. Oh, are, you know what movie I'm also remembering with her? Which one? Isn't isn't she in um Crash? Is I don't she in Crash? Crack. Was she in Crash? Um, I don't remember that movie very well. She's in Crash, and she does that very thing where she clutches her purse, and she's walking down the street, and there's two black guys that like oh, wait, jump no, out. No, no, no. Wait, she. Oh, keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. That's yeah. She's in. I just looked. She's in Crash. Does she insinuate that she has a gun in her purse? I don't know if it's no. I don't think. I think she's actually just like the like damsel in distress, like the white woman who's like nervous, so she like clutches her oh, purse. No. So she didn't close her purse in this scene. She was like super okay. tough, like, yeah, and I'm always packing, so back the fuck up. <laughs> Except like without those words, because all I ever do is swear, because I'm apparently not eloquent. Whatever. The point you can, is you can swear and be eloquent. You're absolutely right. You yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> anyway, but so the core point here is that Sandra Bullock was a white ass savior in that movie. It was told through eyes of whiteness without um, I mean, the, from my understanding, I didn't read any books about this or shit. I'm, so I'm going off what you're saying, Maria. Um, and yeah, so that is that is what it was. And I just want to highlight, like, she... So I went and looked her up. She was on the Red Table Talk recently. Was she? Um, yeah, like, like, like a couple weeks ago. And um, she also adopted... She has two adoptive Black children. Um, and she adopted a, a Black son in 2010 a year after the blind side came out i don't know if maybe the two were happening at the same time or but i'm just really curious um i mean i feel like that's kind of how that goes you know like it's like when people go out and they adopt like a certain animal once they see it in a movie she was like all right i adopted a black son in a movie now i'm going to go adopt one in real life so well and i think cool it had me thinking about privilege of wealthy white hollywood people in particular just because like we see them and obviously we don't know their whole lives and all their story but like they do put a lot of their life out there 
for consumption. Sandra Bullock hasn't really put much out there about her children, but I just think it's interesting that you have so much privilege and I'm not a parent and I, I have not gone through the process of uh, seeking children or fertility. Like, so I'm sure that's a very complicated thing, but I'm just thinking about the amount of money she had, like how powerful would it be to like just funnel that money to the families of the adopted children so that they, the children can stay with like their family of origin or kin. That's an, that's or an interesting with- hardship <laughs> or, or not hot take, like sponsoring a black child with a black family versus adopting a black child. Yeah. But is it a black child in the United States? Because also, where did she adopt her children from? Because yeah, another thing that they love to do is they love to go to any miscellaneous African country, whether we're going to Kenya, et cetera, yeah. and go find their children. And it's just like, are there no black people in the United States? And can you not afford to adopt one? Like, I don't understand. Are we too expensive here? Why do we always go abroad <laughs> to find our black children? That's what are we doing? Like, where are the black children here going? Why are these not good enough black children? And yeah. and honestly, it's like I understand. I guess they they say that like adopting a child um, internationally is you know I think informally I've heard that it's less expensive, but I feel like I read somewhere that ultimately it isn't less expensive, and like the money you pay in traveling and lodging and so many other things, actually it either ends up being more or comparably priced. So it's just like, what is the obsession with finding children internationally? Yeah, there's, 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 there's something there. I don't I, I don't know if her children were born in the U.S. or abroad, but there is a huge trend with celebrities, right? Um, and yeah. there's, like, the privilege of, like, going in. And, and again, like, I don't, there's, a, there's, I know it's a complex adoption is, like, a whole, and transracial adoption is, like, a whole other topic. Um but the levels of privilege to be able to adopt children. I'm sorry. I've, I've, I can't, I must've read this wrong. Um, the, the title of this article is Sandra Bullock is being praised for sharing the brutally honest conversation she had with her black son about racism when she, he was six after admitting she sometimes wished her skin matched his. Yes. That this. Yes. Yeah. That was so. I haven't listened to the whole Red Table Talk. Bars in hell because she should have had that conversation with him, and she should have this like like these are this is bare minimum. Yeah, I'm. Thank you so much, Sandra, for having me. Yeah, I mean, I think the other part too is like how much again, not really trying. It's like obviously much bigger than Sandra Bullock, right? She's like one person, but like the how many black people are these children being raised around near in community with, um, you know, I don't know, Sandra, we'd like to know just, I don't know. And there's, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to be said. Um, but we can circle back. We're at, (laughs) we can circle back. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm looking into this now cause I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out where she got her children from. I mean, honestly, even if she got them here, she got them there. There's still, I mean, 
if there's one thing white people love, it's going abroad and taking pictures. Okay. All right. So I found an article. Okay. Sandra first applied to adopt Louis or Louise. I think it's Louis, who was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. We got a U.S. black. Yes. Um, And she was still with her husband, Jesse James, at the time, which sounds like a famous white actor, but I'm not sure. Anyway, either way. Shout out to Sandra for finding her children in this country at the least. I mean, again, bars in hell, but, you know, we got to give credit where it's due because I was really thinking she went over to any old country to go get her baby. Yeah. Not here. Much like you're thinking of. No, uh, Angelina Jolie did. Yeah, Angelina Jolie and, and many others. What's her face? The one with the booty? You know, the little, the little frog BBL that she just got done? Madonna. Oh, she yeah. Internationally. Madonna. Where did she just, she just popped up in another thing I was listening to about like how she threw black men under the bus um, many years ago. Oh, uh, Bell Hooks. It was a, Bell Hooks talking about Madonna. And yes. Was, um, yeah. She adopted her twins from Malawi. So, you know, if there's one thing white people, rich white people are going to do, it's go find black kids in another country. Yeah. And just the privilege again of like, like European invasion, right? Like over centuries. Like, into- didn't y'all already steal enough black people from their motherland and bring yeah. them here? Why are yeah. the ones that you brought here not good enough for you to keep? Yes. And again, like, uh, this is all, this is very, like, um, macro level. So I know that things are more complicated on, like, the interpersonal level. But, like, what if all that money was just invested in communities so that children didn't have to be adopted in the first place? You're absolutely not wrong. But I'm just still stuck on the fact that it is done and how it's just, like, you have so many uh, additional bears, bearers. Um, barriers mm-hmm. you know what I don't know you making so much shit a lot more hard because you know like when you adopt someone from a different country we're considering different language different culture different exposures different so many things that are different for them in addition to the fact that they have different skin color from you different hair texture than you different facial features than you um and just imagine if you just if you took one less barrier one less hardship and that you got a, someone who's at least from the same country speaking, I imagine a same language or at least exposed to that same language. Like I assuming adopting internationally is cheaper, bitch, you a billionaire. There's no reason why you had to go to Malawi. It's not, Yeah, you actually could have gone down the street. So what, what is it? Anyway, um, you're right. Um, a, a better approach might be to have invested in, in, um, in our neighborhoods, in things such as, you know, ensuring, although I, on that note, I just want to say that I'm really opposed to people who have a lot of money saying, I've got so much money, I'm going to open up a school. There are so many schools already here. Please invest in the schools, the public schools that are already here. You are not a messiah to education. I know that you think that you know the best way to get it done. You might have a lot of really good ideas. Consult with people, have conversations. Have conversations about how you can invest those ideas into a school that is already there, stocked and staffed with teachers and children 
who need probably new laptops, new books, new floors, better windows, better ventilation, projectors, like so much things that they already need. And instead what you're doing is you're building a whole new school that will ultimately fail. And yes, yes, this just happened to someone recently. I'm not going to name any names, but I feel like there was a problem with like high turnover at the school or something. And it's like, wow, it's almost like there was someone, some place that already needed those resources that you could have invested into. And you said, I'm going to do this instead. And like, you're, what you did probably was good for a few, but it could have been so much better. It could have. But, you know, um, that's another one of my complaints. Doesn't really have to do it with being white. Maybe it does. It, I think it has to do with privilege because um, there, there are lots of white entrepreneurs, school administrators, teachers um, th- that I have met or come into contact with who have enormous amounts of privilege around opening schools because you have to have, and I'm not saying obviously like black folks and there's folks, other people of color can open schools, but like there are plenty of white saviors in the educational system, just like there are plenty within social work, my own field, nursing, many others. I think it does have to I feel like coming from a position of privilege comes also from my informal observation also is accompanied with a lot of um i guess unchecked god i can't i can't even remember the word that i'm looking for right now people who just feel like they have the answers the ego entitlement yes, unchecked ego. ego entitlement um just like you know, I, I've, I've constantly been reinforced by society that I have the answers because society assumes you see, I see it in men. I see it in white people. And, you know, it's, you know, that's why the, the, the saying goes, you know, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white male, you know, apply for that job. And my husband was just telling me the other day, he said, I want to apply for a job. I didn't really have all the credentials. I said, why the fuck didn't you apply anyway? Apply for that job. Do you, did you see who our last president was? apply for it but mm-hmm. having privilege i feel like comes with a lot of unchecked and an un you know i guess unwarranted i guess whatever um confidence that like you just think you have the answers like i have this money people don't tell me no i'm there it is that's the answer um, actually on that subject my dad recently wrote a letter to the president don't really understand why um we're going to call him Casey for the purpose of the conversation. <laughs> Casey, as I call him by his government name, he just thought he had the answers about COVID. And it was like, you know, people should have worn masks and you made a mistake. And then he had the gall to then go write a letter to the president and let him know, here's what I think. And it, my question with my brothers was, yeah, Biden's going to read this and be like, oh my God, this is it. This doctor in Chicago, he absolutely, he has all the answers. This this is it, guys. No one has came to this table with this before. <laughs> and I feel like that is just the essence of being a man or being white or just coming from a position of substantial um, privilege. Just thinking that like, I'm going to say something and no one has ever thought of that idea before. <laughs> Versus like being me as a woman who once was formerly black, you know, like I think of ideas and I'm like, and I come a little bit more hesitant, you know, 
have you guys considered doing this differently? Um, have you, has anyone ever tried this before? Well, are there any reasons as to why we're not doing that? Um, I would, I would love to spear spearhead that project if that's what, you know, I, cause I, I've looked into it a little bit, you know, it's a, it's a lot more hesitancy, a lot more openness to the fact that someone may have came up with that idea and that I am not suddenly some genius with this idea that's never been heard before. But when you talk to like people from pr- positions of privilege or, or heightened privilege, such as men or white people, they're like, they're like Casey. And he's like, I've got this plan about COVID and I'm going to write to Biden about it. And it's just like, sir, I could tell you right now, first of all, his interns read that message. And second of all, they are not like, no, this, this is not where <laughs> you wanted to go. And I'm certain this information has been called. Like, I want to almost read it, but like, it was just nonsense. It was things that everyone had already thought of. Yeah. It was nothing revolutionary, but like you asked KC and he definitely thought it was. <laughs> it's, it's an inflated sense of self. Yeah. But coming from a place, I mean, like people, I'm not trying to excuse, right, the behavior, like, coming from a place of like you're used to being listened to you're used to being seen as someone who has at least by other white people right because a lot of the times there are plenty of black folks or indigenous folks people of color that like know that you're an idiot and have to sit through the stupid meanings anyways um but but then on the flip side the inflated sense of self and then like you were saying like the 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 I don't know if it's self-esteem or what you would call it but like the doubting because you've been so doubted right and you know it's like part of it is because I'm not I'm just not arrogant it's not that I let I know I'm a boss ass bitch I know Mm -hmm. I have great ideas I know I have great plans and I know that deep down that I need to own that but also this I, I I don't think that every idea that comes out of my brain is going to be it Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes I'm going to have good ideas. I know sometimes I'm going to have to have a conversation so we can rework that idea. And I know sometimes I'm going to say some things and it's already been thought of. I know that there's levels to this, but like you have people who come from positions of privilege and they think that every idea out of their mouth is revolutionary and that no one, absolutely no one has thought about this before. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's a completely different experience the lack of awareness that, you know, again, there's, there's levels to privilege and there's levels to your ideas and there's levels to your contribution. Um, but like, you know, they'll say something and people are more likely to listen to them. There have been so many times I used to sit in this meeting with the old um, counselor at my job, who was a man. And I would say things and no one would hear me, which is a really big issue because I used to say things and people would tell me I was too loud. So I started being quieter or I tried to like quiet my voice a little bit because I was too loud before. Um, But like, I would still say, I was still had a problem where I would say things and people just would not hear me. And it wasn't that I was whispering. People just would not hear me. Mm-hmm. But let that man say the same thing I just said. And everyone would be like, absolutely. We're doing a needs assessment twice a year now, instead of just once a year. That was a really good um idea that you just came up with over there. And I look and I'd say, so no one heard me when I said it? No, we you said that earlier. So how did you hear this conference comment now, but you didn't hear me 10 minutes ago? I don't understand. So, I mean, you know, there's just a lot, a lot of where people just don't listen. They don't want to listen. And then they listen to people who they assume 
have all the answers and those people continue to be reinforced to keep speaking above everyone else because everyone always looks at them for leadership. You know, it just, it's like a cycle, I guess. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, have you seen a black lady sketch show? Mm, Yeah. Um, there's the one skit that's like the invisible spy and basically like it's a black woman that is like working for you know CIA or she's a spy yeah and like the whole the whole skit is like no one seeing her or hearing her hmm I just you know sense this yes I don't know if I saw that episode I didn't watch it consistently enough yeah so but no I mean like yeah that's exactly how you feel just sitting around a bunch of people who have more privilege than you, who people are more inclined to listen to and just kind of ignore people speaking sense. And it's crazy because like to come up with good ideas, you need a diverse amount of people to then kind of brainstorm those ideas and come up with something. Mm -hmm. But then the diverse minds are often ignored. Mm. So you like, do you want it or you don't like, I mean, they don't. they want it to look diverse without actually being diverse because change is hard. People, people just, they don't like, it's, it's insane how difficult it is for people to respond to change. Yeah. You know, well, this is how we've always done something. And whenever people say that, I always just kind of, and we did 400 years of slavery too. <laughs> um, we eventually let those Negroes go. So, um, I'm going to need you guys to understand that Yeah, <laughs> things things can change. Now, granted, I mean, like I say that, and I said it to my coworkers the other day. I was like, yeah, it's like these teachers are like, well, we've always done it this way. And I'm having a really hard time adjusting to doing this differently. And I texted in my group chat and I was like, well, and we had 400 years of slavery. And then we, we made it illegal. But then I was like, but I mean, like we did it because then you consider prisons mm-hmm. and the school, the prison pipeline and all. But I was like, but that's like another thing. So, <laughs> that's, that's but I digress. <laughs> but. Well, and it sounds like there's times where you said something, nobody hears it, but then this male counselor says it so it's almost as if like I hear some like stealing of ideas and knowledge and wisdom too but you know what honestly that was a whole that was a a side note real side note for our listeners um I used to work at or I currently still look work at said school um anyway I'm a school counselor I worked with another school counselor we had 1600 kids so we had two counselors um yeah that's ridiculous but anyway not the point um the other counselor I worked with he was just always a little bit weird um and that, like, we sat down, and I think one day he, like, we had just met him, and he joked about having a side family in Me- in Mexico, which oh was, like, God. honestly, probably a joke I would make among among people who I'm friends with. But, like, we had just met him. It had been, like, maybe a year or a week, a week of knowing this man. Um, And, you know, he had spotty attendance the first year. The second year, I was like, I'm tracking this man's attendance as trash. He doesn't have a caseload. He doesn't see children. He doesn't. He has really bad attendance. But, like, little by little, he became more and more bizarre. He was coming to school. Um, He would get up. He would pace. He would do a lot of pacing. He couldn't answer questions. He would hear me say things and then cut me off and try to finish my sentences. Um, God, there, there was just so much, so much bizarre, erratic things that were going on. Um, and he just missed so much work. It was just very odd. 
at one point I, t- I had so many conversations with this man about things and he would like just it would he would just completely forget all of it um to the point where he messed up standardized testing at some point in time and at that point in time i was like you need to i need to snitch on you to let them know that you did not mess up standardized testing for my fault but anyway um <laughs> it came time we lost half our students they went to the middle school we only had 800 students i saw this as a big warning sign and i was like "Ooh, i gotta make myself seem relevant or else you know this uh, public school system where I live is suddenly going to say that one counselor can service 800 students, which is um, bizarre. But anyway, and naturally they did do that. And it was time to cut a position. Now he was hired first. So it was my time for me to go, but I had like two years worth of data on this man for all the <laughs> erratic behavior that he had done over the last two years. And I had just been waiting for this opportunity because my assistant principal came to me and he was like, Hey, what's going on in this office? Cause this man hadn't been doing his job effectively. He hadn't been seeing kids. He had been missing work. He had been pacing the hallway, spending a lot of time in the bathroom. And I was like, well, sir, let me, t- let me, let me show you my data. Um, and uh, this man did end up losing his job. Um, so that following year, this was um, the following year in October, one of the parents came to school and they were like, hey, what's going on with this man? We're going to call him. We're going to call him John, whatever. What's going on with John? And we're all like, what, what are you talking about? I don't know what's going on with John. And they had just seen John get arrested. Now, I like to consider myself something of an informal private investigator. So I had Googled John many times, many times, many, many, many times. I just sat there and I Googled him. I looked at his name. But John is a very common name, as you know. And so he was very difficult to find. However, my assistant principal went to Google him and instantly popped up that this man, John, had had like a DUI like five years prior where he had he had been driving erratically and drunk with beers next to him and two toddlers in oh, in this backseat, like not even in their oh. child restraints. Oh. Um, so he ended up being on probation and he continued to be arrested for intoxicated driving. Another oh. thing that we realized that apparently he had been um, abusing his wife. So this man had been abusing his wife drunk driving, mm-hmm. on probation. I have no idea how this man got to work in the public school system in my city. Um, wow. Since then, um, there was apparently a huge scandal and they ended up deciding that they were going to do more background checks on us, which they should have been doing. And so even though this man, John, had found another job at another school, <clears throat> public school system ran the background checks and realized, hey, You've been arrested five times in the last six months. Yes, he kept getting arrested for domestic violence. And we realized that sometimes his absences aligned with when he was in jail. Um, Oh, my goodness. um, And then, like, so he ended up being let go. Fun fact, fast forward to this past spring, you know, COVID, you know, he's having a hard time getting a job. Obviously, he has um, he um, has a substance abuse problem. Yeah. Among other obvious issues that are going on, he's still unstable, but you know, schools are super desperate for subs. So he ends up getting hired as a sub. But again, as he's still unstable, um, he's now on our do not hire list because he got in a fight Mm. at work Mm. with another employee. So this is the person who people were listening to over me for context. Oh my god! This is gosh. the man who was stealing my ideas and talking over me in meetings and doing all of like, this man was sitting at home, beating his wife, doing drugs, getting drunk and driving his toddlers in the back seat. And this is the person who they were listening to over me. And let me tell you, his ideas were not better than me because once I realized that he was stealing my ideas, I was like, all right, 
I'm not going to say anything anymore. I think at one point in time, I might have intentionally said something that was a terrible idea. And he copied after me. Like, I I was manipulative. And I was passive aggressive. And I was, okay? Because I mean, but you're a white woman. You're a white woman. So. <laughs> yes. And so, but like. That's great. Yes. So that that is how that went. Um, and with uh, my old coworker, John, and his answer stealing ass. I the, the I think it goes directly with the privilege discussion. Yeah, um, we've got another contemporary example of a truck driver, like twenty six year old, I think, or twenty three, um, in Colorado right now. It's trending that his brakes went out on his eighteen wheeler, huh? and he killed four people, like through that. Um, causing a crash, but they gave him 110 years in prison. Hmm. Um, and my partner was just listening today to like all these other examples of like white folks who have like intentionally um, hit people with their cars or been drunk driving and gotten way less of a sentence. Yeah. Um, so because he's a he's a Cuban American, I think um, maybe would present as like Macizo, Rahel, Lozado, Aguilera, Maderos. Um, yeah, the, the levels of privilege, the one that my partner was listening to of a white person, it was that, uh, oh, they had that word for it a couple years ago, but um, basically like, oh, this person, this you know, white person grew up sheltered and so they didn't know any better and so therefore... It wasn't their fault that they like killed four people with their car when they like intentionally. Oh, is that the one that was in tech? No, wait. Because do you remember that? No, he didn't. Did he kill someone? Who, Don't you remember that little who, white boy who got drunk and drove in Texas and they were like, well, you know, sometimes kids drink. I think that it I, that might have been him or. Well, this one was, was like the word? 10 years they, ago. They like came up with that word. Oh um, God! Oh, he was too privileged. So unfortunately, he just—he's yeah. never been exposed to consequences. Yes, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Affluenza. Affluenza. Okay, yeah, affluenza. Who killed four while driving, drunk? Um, yes, affluenza. He's, he's just never been exposed to consequences for his actions, and so wow. poor guy. He didn't. He just, didn't realize what could happen if he drove drunk. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Couch. 20, Ethan Couch, 20-year-old Ethan Couch was released. Served a 720 days sentence in jail. It's such a long list of people just getting away with nonsense. Yes. Yeah. Because they are given the benefit of the doubt. And, like, also I want to add that, like, we're not saying that other people should be allowed to do that level of harm without consequences. There should be consequences for these actions, but the act, but the consequences should be consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, we're noticing that people are being held to a different standard. They're being given a, a benefit of the doubt. They're being, you know, people are, are, are second guessing themselves and trying to look at other angles to consider an intention for behavior and it's just not it's just not fair you know we're we're being so considerate and empathetic with 
with one group of people and not with another group of people. And that group of people who we're being forgiving of doesn't necessarily deserve it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's find some balance in the middle where we're holding people accountable, but we are also being understanding. Yeah, that's, that's a whole thing. Who gets the sympathy, empathy, benefit of the doubt, um, and who doesn't? Um, yeah. One, one of our episodes is going to be on white women who have taken on uh, black identities. Um, I mean, maybe. We have a really hard time of staying focused and on task. So yeah. we're going to introduce the subject, and then we might end up talking about my coworker, John, who did drugs and beat his wife. So, you know, you just never know where we're going to end up. It all connected. But, yes, we are going to start to wind down. Um, if you're still listening to us, it's been... <laughs> we were supposed to do a privilege check, which we're supposed to do every episode. Um, yeah. Just want to throw that out there. So, you know, I introduce, we introduce our subject, we discuss the subject, a topic, and then we do a privilege check towards the end, and then we wrap up our episode. Um, we've been talking about privilege and other various things for a really long time. So we're going to do a real quick privilege check here. Uh, Maria, did you have anyone whose privilege you wanted to check? Um, yeah, I think I had in mind, um, like that Sandra Bullock was on my mind. Rich white celebrities were on my mind for going and adopting children and having the financial resources to do so. Um, but there... <laughs> Yeah, I think just that that category of of white women who have taken on fraudulently uh, being black or indigenous, like there's so many examples. Maria, um, I just want to pause to say that you've just mentioned about ten topics in the last <laughs> one minute. Okay, okay. So I mean, like, um, by all means, keep going. But like, where is your focus on this privilege check? <laughs> okay, privilege check's gonna be on myself. To just really hone in on the fact that I can obviously sit and hear myself talk for way too long. So privilege check as being no, a white woman. You, it's just that you know, it's really just that you have trouble being focused and staying on one topic, which, you know, we're going to ex- accept that, acknowledge it, and it's okay. So you are privilege checking Sandra Bullock and other white people who pass as women of color. Yes. But specifically um, Sandra Bullock. We can just, we'll we'll begin and end with Sandra. Yeah. Talk shit about me. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and privilege check. All right, white people. Some of you might be listening and you're like, this doesn't apply to me. I have a black friend. This is for you. I want to privilege check white people who live in, exist in predominantly white spaces and project their whiteness onto their one friend of color. It's the people who say I'm an actively an- anti-racist. I've been to Black Lives Matter rallies and I I, I, um, I donate and um, I follow Black Twitter every so often. And every so often, I like a tweet. This is for you. That poor white friend, that poor non-white friend of yours who you project your whiteness onto. It's, it's you know, obviously it's my former self, my one friend who told me, well, I'm divorced. That's, this is for her. It's from my white friend who talks about going on Thunder Dungeon to my ass. And all of our conversations are all about white people and white shit and whiteness and how she's saving the world. Her one white person, well, actually one person at a time for her little white savior ass. 
This is for her. If you look and you say you that and you look around yourself and you're surrounded by white people in your text, in your home, in your neighborhood, at your job, and you have one space where it is not a white person, you are absolutely projecting all your white nonsense onto that poor black person. Think about that. Think about that and figure which other spaces you can participate in that are not just white people. And I don't mean going to a church, a black church, and not shutting up every Sunday and feeling good about yourself. I go to a black church. I think I saw when it was an advice on Twitter and it was like advice for white people or just people with privilege. Follow as many accounts where people like people who don't look like you and literally just follow. Don't say anything. Don't reply to anything. Don't retweet anything. Just follow and listen because it is so hard for so many white people to just listen. They always want to talk and share and converse and ask you, how, what are you doing for Juneteenth? Is your family celebrating Kwanzaa this year? You know, I looked up Kwanzaa last night on Google and I know what each day means. Habari Ghani girl, like stop it. Just listen. Follow as many non-white accounts accounts that have identities different from your own and just read their tweets, please. Or follow their posts on TikTok. Anything. Don't sit in the, don't, don't you dare. Don't go. You can go through, through the comment section, go through the mentions also. And in saying that, please don't copy that tweet, that TikTok, and then send it to your friend of color. Stop it. Stop it. Their point is to just listen and watch quietly. Your black friend does not need you to text her when Bell Hooks dies. She doesn't. She doesn't need it. I'm going to say that again. Your black friend does not need you to text her when Bell Hooks dies. You could have just received that information and kept going. So that is your task, white people who exist in predominantly white spaces and project their white friend, whiteness onto everyone around them. Stop talking. And listen to sounds about white. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. <laughs> Shut up and listen. Shout out to the Princess Diaries. I realize this is ironic because you know this is a podcast by two white people talking to white people. Um, but you know what? You need someone to listen to, and yeah. you people only listen to people who look like you people, and so. If you're not going to go follow all the non-white accounts on Twitter, here is a space where you can listen to white people saying what black people have probably already said to you before. That's it. That sounds about white. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is our first episode on privilege. I'm Sandra Bullock. And I am Maria. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be with you next time on White Woman Wednesday. We sure will. And Maria will absolutely have a microphone next time. And if this episode (laughs) sounds shitty, then we're going to go ahead and reintroduce ourselves on episode three, trying ourselves again. And maybe we'll actually have my person, our personalized um, intro outro music. Cause uh, our little rap artist, you know, it's been about two weeks. I understand I'm asking for something for free, but like, Come on, put a step on it. (laughs) 
Might have to go with black women. Black women saving the day again. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Are we we just going to stop recording? Okay. I'm going to pause recording now.